We'll start with that Nokar Mantra. Om Namo Arihantanam Om Namo Siddhanam Om Namo Ayariyanam Om Namo Ujjayanam Namo Dure Sarvasahunam Eso Panchanamo Karo Sarva Pava Panasano Mangalananja Sarvesin Padamam Havai Mangalam Padamam Havai Mangalam So you probably know that stories are powerful, but you probably don't know how powerful they are. Stories are the primary ways that our brain receives information. Some of the oldest information that we have today is enveloped in a story. So if you wanted, let's say you thought some piece of information was important and you wanted it to be known for a thousand years from now, the best way to encode that piece of information is in a story. It's not in a book, it's not in a computer, it's not on a tablet, it's not in stone. It's not inscripted into a volcano. It's in a story because that has the opportunity to get passed down and down and down over the years. In fact, we're so immersed in stories that we can't resist them. Even if I give you millions of dollars, okay, you won't be able to resist a story. Now I know what you're thinking. I could resist any story if you gave me a million dollars. No, you can't. And I'll give you a, a modern example. In the sport of basketball, every jump, jump shot is a story. It has a beginning, a middle, and the end. And the end is exciting, whether the ball goes in the hoop or not. Depending on your point of view, you're excited, you're, it's a good ending or a bad ending, but it's an ending. Now, if you freeze the frame in the middle of a jump shot, you're likely to see 10 heads all looking at the ball. Now, most of those heads are not supposed to be looking for the ball. They're supposed to be fighting their man for position for the rebound. And these players get paid millions of dollars to not look at the ball. But they do look at the ball. That's how powerful a story is. And that's why, even if I gave you millions of dollars, you would not be able to resist a story. So I told you that story to tell you this story. The greatest rebounder who ever lived, his name was Dennis Rodman, okay? So if you took that same freeze frame in the middle of a shot, he wouldn't be looking at the ball. He would be elbowing his man, fighting for, for position with his man. He knows that the referees are looking at the ball. So he'll give an elbow to his guy unfairly, right? And that's how he got rebounds. He wasn't a great shooter. He wasn't a great three-point shooter. He wasn't a great teammate, but he was a great rebounder. And there was a place for him in the NBA to get paid millions of dollars because he was able to resist stories. Now, when people look at Dennis Rodman, you probably can't look past the pink hair, the facial piercings, the tattoos. But I'll tell you that those are all expressions of that same superpower, this ability to resist stories. He didn't care about what people said about him. 
He didn't care about what people, NBA players, macho NBA players, thought about his pink hair. He didn't care about what proper society thought about his facial piercings. It's all the same expression of that same thing that he has, the ability to resist stories. So he didn't care if he called Kim Jong-un his dear friend or Kim Jong-il his dear friends. He didn't care what that said about him because he knew he was representing the USA in a secret undercover mission for diplomatic ties with North Korea. He didn't care that he was calling a dictator his dear friend. Because of that same reason, his ability to resist stories. That's how powerful stories are. Now I told you the jump shot is a good story. And I told you that it has a beginning, a middle, and the end. But what's the reason it's a good story? It's because the end is directly caused by the events of the beginning and the middle. That's the reason it's a good story. In fact, one of the harshest criticisms you can give to Hollywood movies is the deus ex machina criticism. Can you open the door? Does anybody know what deus ex machina is or how it relates to Hollywood? You can put that trash can there. Yeah, thank you. Anybody knows what that means? The movie? Name of the movie? Oh, so that's the name of the movie. It's also the name of a concept in movies and books. Do you know what it means? It's Latin, right? Deus ex machina. Hey, come on in. We're talking about the power of stories today. Deus ex machina means ghost in the machine. Okay? Hey, come on in. Yeah, sorry. No problem. We're talking about the power of stories today. Now, the reason that Ghost in the Machine is one of the most harshest criticisms you can give a, a Hollywood movie or a book is because, well, an example of that is when the character wakes up at the end and it was all a dream. All the movie was a dream. We hate those movies, right? Or when the main character finds an invincible weapon at the end and it's so easy to kill all the bad guys at the end. We hate those stories, right? Why? Because it's a waste of time. Uh, because the beginning had nothing to do with the end. Like, it could have been... If it was all a dream, then you just wasted an hour and a half of my life. Or if he just found the weapon and killed everybody, well, what, what, why did we sit through the beginning, right? So that's opposite of a jump shot, right? The jump shot, the end, has a direct beget, is directly caused by the beginning and the middle. So that's why it's such a uh, criticism against these stories that the events at the end were not caused by the beginning. So questions about that? Questions about what we talked about? Or comments? People still don't like those stories, right? Some people do, but most people don't. You said stories are the ultimate way to pass on if you want, like, 100,000 years ago, you want to pass on something. The stories evolve. I mean, from mouth to mouth, they become different, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. It may be something totally different what was initially said. That's right. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So I'll give you one last example about how powerful stories are. This historian named Yuval Noah Harari asked a question. 
He said, why is it that humans came to dominate the earth? Okay, if you look back in time, and let's say we start placing bets on the different animals, which one are going to dominate the earth? We probably wouldn't bet on the humans, okay? Not the strongest, not the fastest, not even the smartest. What we had was endurance, okay? So that's our superpower, is endurance. The way we uh, captured and killed animals was we outran them. We just ran them and tracked them and ran them and tracked them until they fell over exhausted, and then we killed them and ate them. That's all we had. So we wouldn't place bets that human, humans would come to dominate the earth. He said, we came to dominate the earth because we have the ability to cooperate flexibly and in large numbers. Okay? So social insects like ants can cooperate in very large numbers, but not flexibly. What that means is that the rules are rigid. If you have the right smell, you're in. If you don't have the right smell, you're out. That's it. Other primates like chimpanzees can cooperate flexibly, but not in large numbers. So flexibly means they can form alliances within the tribe based on mutual interest, and those can rise and fall over time. They're flexible. But they can't cooperate in large numbers. A tribe can only be so big before, uh, before it breaks off into another separate tribe. So humans are the only animal that can cooperate flexibly and in large numbers. So how did we do that? It's with stories. We use stories to form a meta layer of reality on top of real reality. And the example that this historian gives is taking a trip on a plane to visit somebody. Why do you trust when you take a trip that you'll get there and back safely? Well, you believe a story that the pilot will be fired if he crashes the plane. You'll believe a story that he is interested in his job. You believe a story that the taxi cab driver has a good incentive to get you to where you want to go. He believes, uh, you believe you have that same set of beliefs as strangers have. You don't know these people, right? An ant can't do that. A chimpanzee can't do that. Only humans can do that. Now I know what you're thinking. Deber, I don't believe in any meta-realities. I only believe in real realities. That's not true. You believe in the pieces of green paper in your pocket, right? You believe in the oldest story that humans have created. The story of money. In real reality, the green pieces of paper in your wallet are worthless because you can't do anything with them. But if we all believe the same story about money, then those green pieces of paper become very valuable indeed. So some people are so immersed in the story, so beholden to the power of the narrative, that if you tell them that money is an illusion. They'll say, well, give me all your money if money is an illusion, right? Or if you tell them that reality is an illusion, they'll say, oh, go jump in front of that train if you believe reality is, is an illusion, right? It's not like that, right? It's about forming these meta layers of reality on top of real reality. That's how powerful stories are. They're the entire reason we're here. They're the entire reason we came to dominate the earth. The, they're the entire reason that we're sitting here today.
Hey, how are you doing? Good, how are you? We're talking about the powers of stories today. Uh, so questions about any of that. Questions or comments about any of that. I kind of hit you with a lot there. So can anybody give me an example? So we talked about the story of money. So what other meta layers of reality do we, do we have sit on real reality? Anybody, can anybody think of an example? Civilizations. Right. I mean, if you go back into time, days of Harappa or Mohenjo-daro, there humans knew how to live in harmony with the available resources, be it water or constructing houses. So, if I if I try to relate to whatever we just learned, I think the the art of survival itself is a, is a big uh, right from those civilization days, right? being together in harmony and protecting yourself and having all the needs fulfilled to live. Uh, that is what I would say. Right. Any other stories you tell yourself? Even I have one. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> so I, sometimes I, I go back they, you know, my dad was a big believer in Shrimad Rachandra and stuff like that. Uh -huh. You know, when the, at two, three, four generations ago, what were your great, great, great grandfathers doing to set up the success of you right now? Right. That your success at this point in time or your struggles at this point in time are extrapolation of the decisions and the choices they made. Mm -hmm. And so... I kind of look at it like whatever decision I make right now, whether you know I have uh, invest in here or take this extra job shift, like all these small decisions accumulate to impact the next five generations. Right. And so that's kind of the story I play in my mind. I'm like, is this the right play for the next five generations? Right. And and it's a it's a lot of pressure, mm -hmm. but at the same time it helps to cut out the noise from life, like whether I need to get a blue shoes or a green shoes is right. inconsequential. Right. You know, so that's the story that sometimes plays in my mind when I have, uh, when I get distracted from the, the you know, laser focused goal. That's great. I'm so glad you brought that up. One of the most powerful tools that we have is the power of self-talk. And for those of us that have kids, it's very important we monitor their self-talk. That is, the voice inside their head, the stories that they tell themselves inside their head. Because if they get into negative self-talk, it has very deleterious consequences on their life. If they think they're a bad person, if they think they're a bad <coughs> kid, if they think they're dumb, if the story that the, they tell themselves are, I'm not worth anything, extremely uh, uh, bad consequences to them. Now you know how powerful stories are. So the most powerful story of all is the story you tell yourself about yourself. That's called self-talk. Um, it's the meta layer of reality that we impose onto our reality. So I'll give you some examples. 
some of the most radical transformations that people can have in their life occurred because of the power of stories. A cigarette smoker will do the math and realize that cigarettes are costing him a small fortune. And he'll quit like that. Because the story he tells himself about being a frugal person, a smart person, outweigh the story that he tells himself about needing that cigarette. A drinker will quit drinking like that once he raises his hand to his wife. Because the story he tells himself about being a good husband is more powerful than the story he tells himself about why he needs the next drink. An obese person will look into the eyes of his newborn child and stop overeating like that. Because the story he tells himself about being a good father and being there for the milestones of his children are more important than the story he tells himself about why he needs to overeat. So that's how powerful stories are. And I know you're asking yourself, Thimmer, what does this have to do with Jainism? You've been talking for half an hour about the power of stories. What on earth does this have to do with Jainism? And that is, if you can admit to yourself the truth, the true story about yourself, your life will change like that. Just like those three examples I gave you. Can anybody, anybody else give me an example? Not that they have done, maybe a friend or somebody they heard about that had a radical transformation in their life. What do you consider radical? Anything that you consider radical. So, I, mean, I guess some people don't believe in any religion or anything and they're out and enjoying life and right. when things go wrong, somebody shows them going to church or temple or something and they follow stricter guidelines or so. Right. And they, have, they get religion. And they get religion. And right. So. so what do you think changed about the stories that they told themselves? Well, if I don't do drugs, alcohol, all the other stuff, it's, my life in itself is going to become better. Right. And they realized that because at that time they were low in life, yeah. right? And the story of, uh, I guess if they're Christian, the story of God loving them and redeeming them was a very powerful one at that time, right? Right. So, so what is the truth? I told you that if you accepted the truth about yourself, your life would change. So what is the truth? Well, I'll tell you, I had a change in mindset when I heard someone say that what we call life, the water in which we swim, is just a series of events that happened to this body. That changed my life. I'm sure some of you have heard me say that a billion times now. But that changed my life. All you consider your life is just a series of events that happened to your body. But that's not the truth. You know you're not your body you know that you are your soul. And your soul has traveled in and out of innumerable bodies before this one. So let's say life is a book, okay? Most people would say that the first chapter was when you were born and you're somewhere in the middle of the book 
And the last chapter is when you die. And that's the book of your life. And they try to make that a good story. But we know that's not the truth. Your life didn't start when you were born. Your truth is that book started over the innumerable events of your previous lives. Okay? And the last story of this life is not the last story of the book, the last sentence of the book, or the last chapter of the book. The last chapter of your book is yet to be written after you die. Right? So, when most people say, what's the story of your life? They imagine a book that's this thick, and that's this life. But you know the book is this thick, and this is the end that you can see where you are now, and it goes on like that. And like the best Hollywood stories, the amazingly long story of your soul has absolutely zero plot holes, because everything that's caused at the end was directly caused by the beginning and the middle, just like a good jump shot. There's no deus ex machina in your life. It's an amazingly long story, an intricately long story, with no plot holes, because all the karma your soul has acquired has come to fruition in later lives. If your life, if your soul was a book, it would be the most long, most amazing, most engrossing story you have ever read. But that's not the truth. I'm here to tell you the truth. The truth is that the story of your soul is the saddest, most heartbreaking, most torture-filled story you can imagine. Because it is the story of your enslavement. It is the story of how a happy soul at the beginning not only is enslaved, not only contributes to the enslavement of others, not only contributes to the enslavement of itself, but is ignorant while doing so, but pretends to be happy while doing so. And on top of all that, considers itself a most enlightened being while doing so. This is the saddest story you can ever imagine. And that's the truth. And once you admit that truth to yourself, if you understood how much pain you're currently experiencing, how much suffering eons of bondage have done to your soul, you'd leave your wallet here, you'd leave your phone here, you'd leave your family here, you'd walk out that door, you'd keep walking, and you'd never come back. You wouldn't let anything stop you. You wouldn't let the government stop you. You wouldn't let your family stop you. You wouldn't let not having any clothes stop you. You'd realize how precious this human life is. And so that's what I'd like for you to take away. That self-talk you have about, oh, I was born, you know, I'm doing pretty good in this life, and I made it this far, and that's how it's going to be when I die. That's not your story. Your story is much larger than that. When you think about yourself, don't think about this life. Think about all the previous lives you've had, which you know to be true. 
Okay? The only reason none of us have not taken Diksha is because at some level we don't believe what we know to be true. That this life is the single opportunity we have to perform as much Nirjara as we can. Questions or comments on that? Who's walking? <laughs> you gotta watch for us. Oh, uh, see where he starts running and running and running. That's what he's talking about, right? Yeah. In terms of, you, you said that you got enslaved from the beginning. That sure. That I did not get. Like, sure. What do you mean by that? Like, if you can explain that. Sure, absolutely. So your soul exists, uh, if it had no karma, it would exist in a state of total happiness, contentment, uh, total bliss, total knowledge. Those are the inherent properties of the soul. And when we perform actions, we bind karma to our soul. And those obscure those properties of the soul. But it might be a good karma as well, right? Good karma is also obscure properties of the soul, right? So remember that good karma are also bad in the fact that we want to get rid of all of our karma, right? And good ones included, right? The only reason we call them good is we want to start with the bad ones. Then once we got a good handle on that, we want to start with the good and bad ones. Right? We want to start getting rid of those, right? And so, every time you perform an action that attracts karma, you bind karma to your soul, which enslaves your soul. Because you're not giving your soul the full expression of those properties inherent to it. How do you get rid of it then? You get rid of karma by performing nirjara, by performing tap. Okay. Or taking the shower or something like that. Sure, that's the, that's the best way. So, uh, so the, first you perform samvar, which is first we stop all karma from coming. And then you start performing nirdra, uh, which is we slowly start burning off karma that we've accumulated. So I guess the most common way to remember is to talk about the man in the boat. It's just an analogy, but it's just a useful one to help remember about what the elements are, the elements of Jainism, right? Who remembers the man in the boat and what the man in the boat represents? Okay, so the man is Jeev, okay? The boat is Ajeev, right? The ocean is Karma, right? That's three. There's a hole in the boat and the Karma is, the water is filling up the boat, okay? So the man starts plugging up the holes, that's Samvar. We want to not attract karma to our soul. And then the man starts bailing water from the boat. That's nirdra, right? Um, and, and you can perform nirdra before performing samvar, but it's kind of useless, right? Because the water's still coming in. It's better to do samvar first and then nirdra, right? Um, and so those are, I think there's more elements, but I forget the elements right now. Um, but those are, that's kind of the mnemonic we use to help us remember the elements of Jainism. How much water also makes sense, right? The bondage. Right. Oh, yeah, bondage, bondage. right? Bond. And then somewhere, yeah, it's in the book, right? So maybe we'll get to the book one day. <laughs> so the what we talk about is based on the karma, what you do now, um, you will be experiencing what you what you have done or what you, what you had a karma for, right? right. So the fact of the matter is there's 12 people listening to this word it depends on the karma what we had before right and not the rest of the 200 people yeah kind of it's the interactions right sure 
but still being at this place at this moment has to do something to with what we have done before. Sure, absolutely. Um, so if the thoughts are not your own thoughts, right, and the story comes to you, depends on your karma. Meaning, I heard this story. The way you interpret it, I guess. Well, but I heard this story today. It's also based on what my karma was before. Plus the current actions, right? Karma plus the current actions, isn't it? Whatever your actions brings your karma, right? Good, bad, whatever you do. Right. Yeah, everybody takes it differently, I guess. That's what you're trying to say. Right. What I'm saying is, at some point, it is destined that you are here at this place. Right. And... The action based on what you do, what you hear, it's up to you. Absolutely. To what happens in the future. Right. That's why we have that saying, Papa Nubandu Pap, right? right? You decide if that second Pap is there. You can have Papa Nubandu Punya. You decide based on what has happened, you're still deciding what you do with that, how you react to that. It's great that you're here. Your karma has led you here. It's amazing that you believe in Jainism. It's amazing that you're on the right path. But you still get to decide what you do with that. And that's why, that's why I'm, I'm telling you, the story of your soul is one of the most powerful and painful stories you can tell yourself. And you have to listen to it. If we don't listen to it, then we'll still be on this path of life and death forever. But you mentioned that it's like we are enslaved, um, our soul is enslaved and it's a, it's a sorrow story. Yes. Um, and you also mentioned uh, this human form, we are blessed to have this human form. Absolutely. So how does this, uh, I mean, how does this go well? In, like both are contradicting statements, right? So the opportunity in being born human is that you can perform more nirdra than any other kind of being, including heavenly beings and hellish beings. Think of heavenly beings and hellish beings more like animals. They're still, at, they can't intentionally do a lot of nirdra. Like, so if you think of an animal, he can, I guess he can sometimes do nirdra, but cannot do it with intention. Being born as a human, he can act, an animal can accidentally perform nirdra. But being born as a human, this is a brief opportunity for you to perform as much nirdra as possible. But that doesn't mean you're not enslaved. Because compared to the true nature of the soul, what a human being is, is insignificant. It's, it, it's extremely painful. You might think to yourself, well, uh, Timur, I'm not in pain right now. I look at my life, it doesn't seem like it's that much suffering right now. Well, that's because we don't know any better, right? Have you ever, has anybody ever been in a, an experience where they didn't know any better and then they did and life changed for them? They didn't know how good it could be. Anybody ever been in an experience like that? A lot of times, right? Yeah, a lot of times, right? Profe Tell us one. Professionally, right. I mean, doing something new and then being successful at it. Right. And you didn't know whether you would be successful or not, right? Right. And that's a common example which everybody can give, right? Sure. I can tell you right now, I get paid more for doing less work <laughs> than I did previously. I didn't know how good it could be. I didn't know how good it could be. 
Well, that good could end soon, right? Yeah, it could. <laughs> Same for your business as well, right? So you might think that you're not suffering right now, but you don't know how good it can be. True. <clears throat> wanted to, to uh, go back to a comment you made uh, about, you said, uh, we, we, are, we don't believe Otherwise, we would all be... Absolutely. That's including me. No. I'm, yeah, absolutely. I, I get that. But if, if, if that knowledge or if that recognition is within you that I'm a disbeliever, because if I was a believer, I would have already taken Diksha. So no matter what you say to yourself, you know, I'm a good person, I'm doing good things, at the back of your mind, you're like, no. Right. You're a disbeliever. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't change. Okay? I, um, I'll tell you what. Everybody knows that the secret to being healthy is eating right and exercising. Right? But not everybody does that. But everybody knows that. Well, if you want to be healthy, you have to eat right and exercise. Right? But, so that's always at the back of your mind. Like, oh, I'm not... I'm not being healthy right now. Like, I'm, I'm eating this pizza, but I'm not being healthy right now. That's at the back of your mind. But some people do change. Some people, that becomes in the front of their mind. That, oh, yes, I eat right and exercise. That, and it starts the ball rolling, you know. We can't all of a sudden be there. We have to start slowly, and it starts the ball rolling. So just like your example, you're like, I go through my whole life being, you know, like, I should be doing more Nirja right now, but I'm, you know, taking out the trash, you know. I should be doing this, but I'm... And so that's at the back of my mind. And hopefully it'll all come to the front of our mind someday. So there's a solution, right? It, right now it's inconvenient to do all these things, right? right. So, you, you know, you have a house payment, you have kids, you have, you know, responsibilities to your spouse, responsibilities to your job. So you just do that, then when it's convenient, let's say you're 98, <laughs> Take the diksha. Right. Exclusively all it, it, right. Isn't that even like, I think this is a common theme across all religions, right? Like Christianity, like, oh, you have to accept Jesus, otherwise you won't go to heaven. Like right. Islam and uh, Judaism, they all have this thing where you have to accept your fallacy. And then you get liberated. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a common theme. But at the same time, you, you know, there's the scripture, like the Veda, they say each person goes through different phases, right? So the phase is education, then like responsibility to community. And then diksha. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so is there are there incremental changes we can do now that wouldn't disrupt our life? What's convenient for us to go do now? That's the question. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> sure, absolutely, and that's can one we, of can the we things. Put all the nirjara together in the room and then like barter it up, though, like reshuffle. <laughs> sure, and that's we'll where take, we'll, we'll take his stuff for this this uh, this variation, and we'll uh, we'll share, share it. You know, <laughs> if he wants to share it. Absolutely, and that's what this well, class is all about. Nothing I possess, anyway. That's right. Right? So that's what this class is all about. It's easy to be in here. I say it every class. I'm sure you're tired of hearing it. It's easy to be in here and talk about Jainism because our kids are out there and the world is out there and it's Sunday and we are not have nothing to do with our jobs, right? It's hard to do it on a Wednesday at 6 o'clock in the evening, you know? It's hard. I, I fully understand that. And that's what this class is about. That's why we're all here. I think you said it right, Uncle. I think you said that. I think our life, the way we see it practically, is in phases, right? And there's a time and a place where that phase changes. Right. Like the examples I would give you is that 
when I was busy doing what I thought was right at that point in time was running this company to go get bigger and bigger and bigger and do other stuff, I didn't think about possibly my health and you know exercising and doing all those things. And when I decided that, hey, this is enough, I don't need to do this rat race anymore, I ended up reshifting my focus somewhere else. It was a different phase, you know? Whether that's time, whether that's money, whether that's whatever comfort that we think we're in or need, that phase changes, right, you know? Something life-changing happens to us, something good or bad, right, happens to us. We reshift our phase, right? And whether that is spiritual or that's anything else, right? Spending time for yourself, I mean, Tamir said it multiple times too, that I give you the opportunity to take one hour a day and spend time on yourself. Go to the gym, go exercise, go meditate, go do whatever you feel comfortable with, you know? But that's the time that you need to go think about how to go change and how to go do these things. So what I'd like for you to take away is, remember last time we talked about shifts in awareness or paradigm shift? Is that when you're driving your car and you're thinking about your life, remember, I want you to change that word life. It's not your life. It's not the story of your life. It's the story of your soul. And I want you to catch yourself each time you're thinking about your life. Change that word to soul. And remember that you are uh, in the middle of a great journey that's much greater than your life. And if you can kind of do that every time, slowly your entire thinking will start, will start to change that. Yeah, you know, it's like, have you ever, everybody's had this experience where they focused on the bigger perspective and they had a change in thinking, right? Well, if you focus on, this is just the latest life that my soul is going through, you'll automatically have a change in perspective and you'll change your thinking and you'll change your actions if you start at the root there. Other questions or comments? So what are some incremental things we can do in our rat race of a life that, that would... That, <laughs> you have this book? You have this book? Uh, no. no? Okay. The incremental thing you can do is read this book. It's so hard to read this book when it, you're not here in in Patsala, in, uh, I wrote in this book. I wrote in this book. Has anybody ever opened the book that wasn't on a Sunday? Anybody ever opened yes. the book? Oh, you opened the book? Okay. So here's your homework. Read chapter... Where do we get this book? I have this book. Who doesn't have a book? If you need one. One... Two, three, four. Okay, I will get five books. I asked for five books. I did not get five books. Read. What are you interested in? You're interested in things you can do to... Incremental things you can do to change your life, right? You can... Six minutes, stages of... Ah, here we go. Code of conduct. Perfect. Chapter 6, page 68. Uh, is this right? Does anybody remember what I'm talking about? 
yeah. things to do to change your life, like what you should do and not do. Is that code of conduct? Yeah, that's not it. Um, it's like things you should do in your life that the layperson should do. Where's that in the book? Talks about ombel and cup and this. And, uh, oh, that's that's Nirjira and Sunwar. The um, so in the karma theory also there is uh, the bondage or the bond that right. chapter. Well, you can send it out in the group chat. Oh, here we go. Shravak and Shravak that Forty-six. Okay, so the first things you can do is to try to eliminate anger, ego, deceit, and greed from your life. Um, Jane comes from the root word Jina, and Jina means conquer. conqueror. And what are we conquering? <laughs> what are we conquering? Four the things soul. like those four things that you just said. Passions. Passions. And so those four things are growth, man, maya, and love. Anger, ego, deceit, and greed. That's on ourself. It's not conquering somebody else. Right. Yeah, you're conquering your own your own passions. Yes, that's right. And I tell you what, some people think you can't do it, but you can do it. So the thing you can do is to conquer first I want you to conquer your anger. Okay? And I, I posed a little challenge. Let's pose it again. I, my definition of what causes anger is when your expect... All anger is directed at the self. Okay? And the anger stems from the expectation being different from the reality. Okay? Can anybody give me a scenario? I issued this challenge last year. I didn't find any takers. Can you think of a scenario where anger is not directed at yourself? Isn't that a majority of the scenarios? Give me one of the majority of scenarios. Uh, somebody cuts you off in traffic and slams the brakes on. Okay. And you get angry at them, right? For a split second. Right. So you had an expectation that they wouldn't do that. Correct. But why? You knew it was going to happen. It can happen, right? Yeah, yeah. You it's knew that it could happen. Yeah. It's not supposed to happen. Well, yeah, but, just, but you knew that it would. 50 50 possibility can happen. Right? Actually, it's not 50 50. Think about it, right? If you are supposed to, everybody's supposed to follow the rules. But, but you, you expect everyone to follow them. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. It's, you, <laughs> you yourself is expecting someone to do something right. right. This is the problem. But they don't. They call this a. You're not ants. Right? You're expecting. You're, you're expecting. What, what he's saying is that you're expecting someone to do something. So you're creating the expectation. It's like your kids, right? Like, I expect my kids to have breakfast, right? And, and then they spill something. Well, I expected them to do something, right? Kids, yeah. There's different. Well, what's the same thing you're expecting? <laughs> no, no, no. The society has created rules. Everybody was uh, is supposed to follow. Listen, the adults drive. Uh, listen, every Sunday we, we we feed 400 people. I expect something from them. No, I'm saying. Let's say they're following the rules, but they have a bad vision, and they thought that you are not that close. Objects in mirror appear to be a lot more closer <laughs> than they are. Are they on their phone? Inadvertently, you think I mean, they cut off, and but they didn't need to cut off. Right? Expectation is the reality, right? I mean, we no, expect. No, no, it's not. 
we i mean you don't like you don't get angry when somebody cuts you, you off you're setting the expectation yeah but you, you but if you didn't have expectation that's what i'm asking you because someone cut you off Did, it's like okay then somebody cuts you off you don't get angry or you get angry i don't get, get angry, angry because i know it's going to happen you don't get angry but i'm asking him right? <laughs> <laughs> i don't get angry when it's tim cutting me off i'm saying practicality is that now in terms working with the practicality conceptually what you are saying is right Uh, what he's saying right is practicality wise right like you, what, we are humans right yes yeah, what i'm telling you is that you can undo all the covert contracts you have in your life right. does anybody know what a covert contract is a covert contract is when you do something with the expectation that another person will do something right. else and you haven't told them about it okay we have most of our covert contracts with our wife Okay. <laughs> and they have most of their covert contracts yes. with us. Yeah. They get mad because I saw that you, you know, I was gone for 2 hours and I saw that the dishes aren't in the dishwasher. What happened? And you're like, "You didn't tell me you wanted me to put the dishes in the dishwasher." She had a covert contract with you that she thought that you would know to put the dishes in the dishwasher because you had a free 2 hours and she would do the same. This so she the, gets angry. This is the part of today's when you get it to send this part to your wife. <laughs> so so she gets angry Let's because, because <laughs> she gets angry because she set up a covert contract with you that you had no idea about. So when you say this driver cut me off and slammed on the brakes, you had a covert contract with him and now you got angry. And you're angry at yourself because you set up that covert contract. So all anger is directed at the self. Would anybody like to give another scenario where they think that anger is not directed at the self? All anger is directed at the self and anger stems from the mismatch between perception or expectation and reality. So the first thing you can do is to get rid of your anger. And you can do that in this life. I'm telling you, you guys are laughing. You can do it in this life. In fact, If you had started to get rid of worked on getting rid of your anger when I told you to do that last year, you could have done it by now. Okay? It's not this is not some I'm going to heaven, I want you to get there, you take these little steps. You can kill your anger right now in this life before we meet again in one year. You can do it in less than a year, but I'm giving you a year. Okay? From here to a year from now. You can get rid of your anger. I have seen people do it. I think the best. But, but even to get there, what what are the best practices, right? So yeah. I mean, probably it's in the book. But something. How how should we be dealing with these kind of real scenarios? The practical uh, way for me is to start with your kids. Don't start with your wife. <laughs> start with your kids, because you know the, what what happens is. kids for example coming to jain temple right they won't get ready you expect them to drink milk quickly get ready fast and come our, our normal tendency is to raise our boys when they, we don't raise our we, we raise our boys then the second thing will happen is like you know we we almost scream and say okay let's get ready fast or do this and do that so what can you do if you take that example or something that happens quite frequent take that example in yourself prepare early if you prepare early you're prepared for them and what you will also notice that your your kid absorb from you they know that oh every time my dad or mom screams that's when i'm supposed to react that's when i'm supposed to do things 
Otherwise, it's okay. When they talk in a normal tone, it's okay not to uh, drink milk. So it will transfer, and they, they will they will change their mindset. And like, okay, and you you tell them, I'm not gonna get angry at you. I'm going to when I'm telling you in a lighter manner. That's when I'm serious about it. Yeah. And over the time, you you will be able to overcome your own anger because, like I like Timber said, at the end of the day, even if you scream at your child, it's gonna hurt you, right? I mean, no. uh, after we sit on the car, it's in the car. It's like, why did I get mad at her? Because I knew it was a late night yesterday. Uh, they slept late, and that's why they're not getting up and doing things. So I think there's two concepts here. One is not having. Like it, you can only be, it almost be interpreted as not having expectations. Exactly. But if you don't have expectations, you don't hold somebody to a standard, then your life becomes yeah. jello. No, like, it's not about not having expectations. Right. So it's th- about clarifying the expectation. If I have an expectation that everyone should be here on time, I'm going to go ahead and text you five minutes earlier every week saying that, hey, we're meeting in five minutes, right? We, we had an expectation. Every, everyone comes to this temple expecting to have lunch, right? I'm giving you a perfect example. What we did two weeks ago is we went and we said that, hey, this is what we're serving for lunch today. We set the expectation and told everyone the expectation. So there was no issue about, hey, I want this and I want this and I want this. So if you make the expectation clear that, hey, this is what I'm expecting, that, hey, I don't want you to cut me off. We're all clear that, hey, I told you. Right. But, but, but is, it, is it about clearing the expectation or not having the expectation? That's, yeah, that's a kind of... Because, because I, can, I can clarify to my son, to your example, previous yeah. night, you're going to get up at 7 and I go to bed. That's not going to happen. So no, you're going to get no, up. No, well, that, I think, I think it's, it's a in-training. I mean, our kids are young, right? So it's helping them understand what our expectation is, not... Not telling them our expectation and then going to their room at 7.15 and say, how come you didn't get up at 7 o'clock? Because that's what we do. We're like, hey, we're late. Now they're late. Now they're making us late. So we're setting the expectation for them that we expect them. But if we told them, like, I'll tell you, my kids are doing 3 feet, right? They come in the morning, they get ready and whatever. So they wake up and the night before I ask them, I'm like, hey, do you have your puja clothes ready? Okay. So they wear their puja clothes here, but they wake up, they brush their teeth, they come downstairs, they eat. They shower and put their puja clothes on. So I ask them two things. Do you have your puja clothes ready? And do you have your spare clothes ready? Right? Now you'll see that there's a bag ready in our mudroom with their spare clothes. I don't have to tell them over and over again. Right? If they forget something, if they forget their rumal or this or that, it's on them. They, they, you'll see them take the brunt of it. You'll see them take ownership of it. Yeah, so would, that, takes, take that a, takes over time to happen. It doesn't a, happen over one week, right? You know? I'll take a different example to what you said. Like kids are watching laptop or tablets or something like that. I mean, even if you set like a lot of expectations from the beginning uh, that you don't have to watch like beyond an hour or a day or two hours a day, I don't know then how do you handle that beyond they seeing that and then obviously you don't want your kids to be cranky for a long period of time. So how do you handle that situation? I, I, we have set the expectations. I give you an example of how right. we handle it. Right. We have an IP for each computer. It links to my Google Wi-Fi. I give them 30 minutes. When it, when it opens, it times out on its own. Period. Right? That I'm is, home or not home, I'm, no, no. I, I'm resolving the expectation the is, of what that, what that is. That is, you are setting up a deterrent from there, right? No, no. I'm, I'm, right? I, I, I'm setting the, I, I have clarified the expectation that you have 30 minutes to watch this, right? I made it clear to them. They can watch for 30 minutes certain things, and 
it's clear when that 30 minutes is up, it's up. Yes. Whether, whether in the middle, like they'll come to me and say, well, well, you know, mom called me for five minutes. I'm like, hey, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. Okay. The question is, like, if they go beyond 30 minutes, how do you control your anger? Don't let them go beyond 30 minutes. You no, control but I'll tell you one thing. I mean, okay, that's, since we are talking about I mean, tablet, right? Because okay. No, since we are talking about watching tablet, but see, now you must have read news recently. A guy playing Fortnite won millions of dollars. Anybody knows that? Yeah. So now just think if if we are stopping, I'm not saying we should allow them to just play on a tablet just like that. But we are setting that boundary. We don't know Miss, if they're going to excel in that or win a million dollars in that, right? Yeah. yeah. So you were asking for an example, right? Like sure. uh, where you get angry and what's the justification? So it's not direct. I so mean, prove to me that that anger wasn't anger at yourself. My assertion is that all anger is directed yeah, at yourself. Yeah, so in this case, right, like you're seeing an hour for a day for your kids, and if they're going beyond it, I've set the expectations already. Now I'm getting angry on them. So, but You're getting angry at yourself. No, I mean at them. Right. right. So no. My assertion is that all anger yeah, is directed at the self. Starting with myself, but then I'll pass that anger to the kids, right? Yeah, but see, the reason you're getting angry is because you have expected your kids to respect your wishes. But what evidence do you have of that? Zero. See, like when you you knew that they were going to go over. You know that they're going to whine and complain. You know that they're going to weasel out five more minutes, Dad, five more minutes, and then you know they're going to pretend not to hear you. You know that. So what, why did you get angry? You knew it was going to happen. See, why, when There's no driving, reason to get when angry. When you are driving, right, someone is driving slow. So right. you think, oh, man, why that person is driving slow? So you cut and... But you realize one thing, when you reach a traffic signal, that person is sitting <laughs> next to you only. Even though you think the person is driving slow, but eventually you realize that they both, you both are same. Means reaching the destination or that interim. Yeah. So, so you then think you, you got you think you got angry at your kids, but my assertion is that it's not the case. You got angry at yourself because you misperceived the nature of your children. But then, if you don't get angry at yourself, or like per se, then you become a doormat and everything just falls apart. You know? No, it doesn't. How does it fall apart? Because you're not upholding what you believe is the right vision for a successful How do household. things fall apart if you don't get angry at your kids? They will keep watching the tablet. Is yeah. that okay? No, that, I, don't, I didn't say don't take it away from them. I said that the anger was directed at yourself. But then... All I'm saying is that the anger is directed at yourself. But that's see, my only at some point of time, it's, it's somebody's so going to get angry. It's like, <laughs> my, no, but my, it's like my, my wife or myself. Hang on, hang on. Don't get angry right now. <laughs> 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 so that's you, why I'm brewing that. I'll, I'll tell you my personal experience. <laughs> right, okay? right. The expectation is you set for them for to play for one hour. But what about the rest of the time? They are also humans. They also need to do something. That's what I've learned. Can I free up my time to play yeah. with them? Have I given them additional tools to read, to watch TV, to do something else? No, I'm not spending that time with them. Yeah, that's a good so, point, so, have you created that structure? I'm not saying that that's how no, it is. That's a good point. I mean, I've not created the structure for that 24 hours that this is what you'll be doing. like a for evolving process, time. right? I it's mean, just that because I am doing exactly. 10 <laughs> different things, yeah. Right. And as they get older, the challenges are different. Yeah. Right, so you know that that keeps changing. The conversation right. will have. That's why I said those are evolving different. things, right? So and don't be surprised that they observe parents very closely, and 
they exactly do what you're doing. But is it this, this one thing on this laptop or digital? We are, we, we initiated this. We as a parent yeah, sure. wanted them. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember as a young parent, I mean, or you know, when the kids were like two, three year old, exactly. we give them an iPad just so to play so that we can eat. I mean, yeah. that was our cop exactly, yeah. out. And now we are, we're suffering to our own uh, own things that we started. You set the expectation by giving them things. <laughs> exactly. We yeah. give them up, check so that I can eat. Right? Absolutely right. And that was our, our cop out that, oh, we can eat. But that was not really. I mean, our parents ate too. Yeah. They didn't have digital tools. So, what's the strategy to not get angry at yourself? The strategy to not get angry at yourself is to realize that the, the cause of anger, which is the mismatch between expectation and reality. And once you realize that, then when your kid says, oh, dad, five more minutes or whatever, you know, he's a kid. Oh, yeah, he's going to do that. I'm going to take it away. And you don't, just because you're going to take it away doesn't mean you have to get angry. Get a smile. Or smile. if you know you're going to be late, you know, oh, I knew he was going to be late because I didn't do this and this, which I normally do. I can do that next time, but there's no reason for me to get angry about it. So it's it. acceptance. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, if I had known you just wanted one word, I would have given that word. <laughs> we didn't have to get angry about it. <laughs> so I've got my homework. I need to look up a specific portion of the book. I need to get you your books. Um, I've got my homework. And I'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much.